Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the fifth sermon in our Epiphany series, The Practices of Jesus, Worshiping Together, by Rev. Ruth Boven. What a great morning to be together. As Pastor Mike said, we continue our series this morning on the practices of Jesus. We look at these practices, of course, with the goal that as we enter into and and study these practices, these patterns, these habits of Jesus, that all of us will become more and more like him and be transformed more and more into his image. And so this morning we consider the practice of Jesus that is regular worship. Now there's a lot of biblical evidence that Jesus went often to the synagogue, which which means assembly. It's, It's the place where God's people gathered together to meet with God. Jesus' parents took him there regularly, we know from early in Luke 4. Also, every one of the gospel writers has Jesus in the synagogue, teaching, worshiping, healing, praying, Our text is just a few verses from Luke 4, 14 through just about the end of 16, that affirm this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. This is the word of the Lord. So obviously, we have continued Jesus' practice of gathering together in worship. We are here this morning, worshiping, praying, learning together. The question is, why? Why is this an important practice of Jesus for us to imitate? Well, yes, of course. If Jesus did it, it's likely good for us too, right? But Jesus used those gatherings to get the message out about God's kingdom being at hand and about how he himself was the long-awaited Messiah. Well, we already have that message. We know that story to be true. Can't I just worship God in my own way, on my own time? Wouldn't a solo, prayerful walk in the woods this morning be just as good for me as gathering here. Why do I need to be here? The folks at Starbucks are just as nice, and the view in the woods perhaps equally as beautiful. Plus, no one in those places tries to twist your arm into serving on a committee or teaching Sunday school. So why do we do it? Why is it important that we gather together for worship 
week to week. I offer three reasons. Because we are forgetful. Because we are family. And because we are forgiven. First, God desires we worship together regularly because we are a forgetful people. Every day, you and I encounter narratives or stories that shape us. And through a bombardment of false messages, we begin to live into those stories. Stories like this. You are self-made. If you work hard enough and smart enough, you can do anything or be anyone you want to be. If the trajectory of your life is not upward, that means you're doing something wrong. Remember, you are the center of your universe, and everyone will know it when you get that promotion, drive that car, achieve that next level. Or there's sort of the opposite false story, that you are not enough, that you are not smart enough, or rich enough, or charming enough, or skinny enough, or good enough to be acceptable. Or an even more dangerous story, that you are not good enough, or pious enough, or faithful enough, or holy enough to be loved and accepted by God. You see, these false stories, they've been around forever. Way back in the Old Testament, God provided a way for his people to shed those false stories about themselves. Stories like, you were made to be slaves. Or like, God has forgotten you. What did God provide to counter those false stories? Well, the gift of worship. Gathering to worship together orients us to the truth that we are God-made and God-led and God-loved. When we gather together for worship, we rehearse our true story. We recall again how our life and breath is first of all, gift. How all we are and all we have is because of God's gracious giving. And how the hope we have in this hard world comes not from clawing our way upward, but from God.
recklessly, relentlessly, condescendingly moving toward us in love and in Jesus. I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in his book, Life Together, which tells the story of a unique group of men sharing life together in an underground seminary in World War II. In the face of another horribly destructive, false story. Bonhoeffer writes about morning worship together, saying, the early morning belongs to the church of the risen Christ. At the break of light, it remembers the morning on which death and sin lay prostrate in defeat and new life and salvation were given to mankind. Bonhoeffer believed that when we worship together, we give due praise to, quote, God the Father and Creator, who has preserved our life through the dark night and wakened us to a new day. To God the Son, our Savior, who conquered death and hell for us and dwells in our midst as victor. And to God the Holy Spirit, who pours the bright gleams of God's words into our heart at the dawn of the day, driving away all darkness. Morning does not belong to the individual, says Bonhoeffer. It belongs to the church of the triune God. Brothers and sisters, because we are forgetful, today we gather to hear again our true story. And God is as near as our breath in our songs, and in our prayers, and in our simply being together. Second, we worship together because we are family. We are on the journey of following Jesus together. That's the way God meant it to be. God called and blessed and made promises to a people, to the people of Israel. And when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he began with not my father, but our father. Our father who art in heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul talks a lot, too, about how we are heirs together of God's promises and about how together we make up the body of Christ. Being a follower of Jesus is automatically a group activity, which means that gathering here 
isn't only about meeting my individual needs for worship. It's also about belonging to this family and making sure that others know they belong too. It's about God giving gifts to each one of us. And I mean each one of us that can bless and strengthen the family of God. Some of you know I grew up in a large family. There were eight of us kids, and so with our parents around our dinner table, there were 10 of us. Well, before the family home was sold, we had the opportunity to gather as adult siblings with my mom around that large, memory-laden, time-tattered family table. It was just a beautiful evening of reminiscing and tears and laughter. We cried together about Dad's empty chair. We laughed about how chaotic mealtimes were and how rarely a meal went by without at least one roaring argument or tears because of a mean look or a kick under the table. We chuckled at how there was so often one lone child left at the table long after the meal was done, stubbornly refusing to eat whatever green was on their plate. We agreed that it was most often yours truly. <laughs> Here's my takeaway from that night. Love is stronger than our differences. Every one of us around that table are such unique and different people from each other. Though we were a mix of loud and quiet, Democrat and Republican, urban and rural, something far more powerful holds us together. It's the bond of family love. This is true, and even more so, for the church. We belong to each other because we all belong to God. And when we gather in worship, we celebrate that God has given us to each other. And even though it can be so hard to be God's family together with all of our differences and the kicking under the table that happens at church too, what it all boils down to is that we are an imperfect family in an imperfect world, but held together by undeserved grace and by a bond of love so strong that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, we gather in worship because we're forgetful, but we're also family. And we gather in worship because we are forgiven. Week to week in this place, we celebrate the forgiveness of all our sins 
because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. It's the center of our life together. It's our hope and our joy. And it is also our central calling to demonstrate to the world around us what a true community of God's forgiven people, what it looks like. Last week, LaGrave had the privilege of hearing from some Calvin University students who live not far from here, but who all started their university career incarcerated. They have remarkable stories to tell as individuals and about the difference that Calvin University and Calvin Seminary are making in Hanlon Prison. But I was particularly moved as the men talked about how they experienced those early conversations with Calvin representatives while they were still in prison. It was stunning to them that they were being addressed as human beings. It shook them to the core that suddenly they were not a number. They were people. People worthy of love and attention and an education. And that's the truth. That's the true story we celebrate and proclaim as God's worshiping family. We know as God's worshiping family that the ground is level. It's level at the foot of the cross. Not one of us stands above the other. In fact, beneath the cross of Jesus, we all look up to see our Savior. And then we look around. And what we see is family. A family of broken but forgiven, beloved children of God. So let's not stop meeting together to remember our true story and to together as a family, worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good. Help us to be your faithful people until you come again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.